Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. I'm your host, Stella Bales. For any new listeners who don't know what to expect, in each episode, I interview an expert on an emerging area of public relations. I get to the facts, but I leave out the jargon. It's a podcast about marketing, but it's in plain language. No, really, it is. (laughs) Welcome back to all of my regular listeners too. If any of you have any comments or questions, just tweet me at Stella Bales. And don't forget to subscribe on Spotify and on iTunes, whatever you listen on at the end of the episode. Enjoy. Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. In today's episode, I'm interviewing Stephen Waddington, aka Wads. He's the founder and managing partner of Wads Inc., which is a professional advisory firm that helps agencies and comms teams with planning and strategic decision making. Now, if you know Wads, you'll know that he's fully immersed in the UK and Europe PR industries. If you don't know Wads, well, he's a UK PR powerhouse. He's been the president of CIPR. He's had senior positions at global agencies like Ketchum. He was MD at Messier Group, which is an international digital marketing agency. He's an author. Now he, as mentioned, he consults in-house and agency teams at a strategic and senior level. He's also currently a PhD student at Leeds Business School investigating the contribution of public relations to management. It's really interesting. So all of this might start to make sense as to why I wanted his view on the state of play right now, how... 2023 was for PR and to get his forecast on 2024. This one's good. So we talk about the economy and government decisions that's affected the industry this year. We talk about marketing and PR budgets and how agencies have been affected. Wads talks about diversity and inclusion and how some things have moved on and also in some areas they really haven't. We also talk about how PR aligns with management and what needs to be approved in this area. So quite rightly, this leads on to measurement too, of course. Finally, Wads shares his 2024 predictions. So you really don't want to miss this one. Here's Wads. Hello, Stella. Hello, Wads. Hello. Good to be here. (laughs) It's great to have you on. We have done a podcast before, but I think it was just audio back then. So here we are. I'm wearing a sparkly jacket if anyone is is just listening. It's December and that, which does lead me on to reason why I really wanted you onto the podcast. It's been an interesting year. Yeah. Want to do a little bit of a look back, but right. mainly to look forward into 2024. And yeah. I would love to get a little bit like Mystic Meg Wad's yeah. predictions. <laughs> yeah, right. But before we do sort of look into next year and think about how the industry could be and what what areas that people could be looking at, I know right now I've had so many conversations just in the last two weeks of in-house teams and agencies all having a a big haul on the way that they do things, Mm. reviewing things, Mm. trying to see how they can get new budgets, any Mm. budgets. But before we sort of get to that and help really help people for next year, it'd be great to just have a quick look back mm. at 2023 because it's a bit of a bumpy ride. Yeah, you can't dodge it really <laughs> no. or dress it up. I'd describe it as whiplash. Yeah. It's sort of, we came in off, 2020 was tough. 2021, we really helped organisations get through COVID. 2022, 
massive growth and here we are. Yeah, we've, it's been really tough. Mm-hmm. It's completely unwound. And it's the economy. It, it's fundamentally the economy. It's, you know, sat here in the UK, we've got interest rates higher than we have had for a considerable amount of time. In fact, you know, there's a generation where we've worked through this level of interest rate that's putting a squeeze on everything and making it really tough. I think there's a real almost despondency mentally with the government. And I don't think we can talk about this without talking about the government. We just, it really feels like the country's out of ideas and we desperately need an election. I'm not sure whether the election is going to bring any change though. Returning to economy where we can't hide from the fact that Budgets were a problem in public relations yeah. in 2023. Um, I'm pretty sure 90% of people I spoke to were finding things challenging, mm. whether that was agencies having budgets reduced or mm. in-house teams, at the very least, really finding it a challenge to prove their value, show their value in comparison to other areas of marketing internally. And I'm still sort of having those kind of conversations now. Did you find the same? same? Old, it's the same old, same old, isn't it? As soon as the market contracts, organisations, and it, it's going to be led by brands, you know, see their budgets get cut, yeah? When that happens, they are forced to scrutinise every area of cost in the business. In the agency market, part of the supply chain, they feel that pain, budgets get cut, and they have to look at every line item in the P&L and look at their cost too, yeah? And, it, you know, it's something that only happens when uh, the market gets tight. Every organisation is forced to go line by line through its budgets and look where to cut. Something that was quite positive in the last year, so you're working on your PhD, which yeah. I've heard little bits about, and yeah. you actually looked at some of these areas, didn't you, around how as an industry we are relating to to management and leaders of a business yeah. who are going through line by line with their yeah. budgets at the moment. Can you yeah. share some of that? I'm two years in now. I've got three more years to go. Wow. It, yeah, it is commitment. It is a hell of a commitment. But actually, it's really starting to pay dividends in the work that I do. PhD, you spend the first couple of years reading everything you can about your subject and domain and then starting to think about an area of original study. So that's kind of where I've got to. I've been looking specifically, I came out of COVID having done a couple of projects for the NHS and for the Government Communication Service and saw that time in 2020, 2021 when public relations and comms was absolutely elevated in every organisation. It was part of the public health response. It was part of the changing supply chains within organisations, communicating that with a whole range of stakeholders. And it was part of the productivity issue in helping organisations shift if they had office workers to working from home. So we helped with a whole range of issues inside every single organisation. The function was elevated. And so I wanted to look at what happened and whether that we could learn from that, what we could learn from that and whether it would be continued. Now it's reverting, clearly it's reverting. There are reasons for that. And that's really where I've started to explore and get to. The primary reason is, you know, there's a misalignment between what we do. We tend to focus on a media perspective, reputational perspective, rather than actually what management wants and expects Mm. us to do, Mm. aligning with, you know, whether the P&L, it's the P&L or the balance sheet. And there's a fundamental mismatch there. 
Do you think that is something that, I mean, I, I actually had a conversation in this room quite recently. It was the two podcasts ago with Alistair from the CIPR about some right. research they had done. They'd looked at board level management teams and yeah. they've highlighted the lack of public relations yeah. representation. And we were just like sort of exploring why, you know, yeah. and, and it's really down to those points. You're just saying that we're not talking their language. No. Do you feel like that should be like a big focus? Right. A board is a board is a board, right? It doesn't, there's only a limited number of seats. You can't have every function at the board, but, you know, public relations, you can make a good case that it should be, if not on the board, a part of an exec comm. And in high functioning organisations, it is. And typically you'll have an informal relationship as well between the CEO, a very good informal relationship between the CEO and the and the most senior comms person because the CEO will recognise they bring a relationship perspective to the organisation and that's key. So in tackling COVID, massive public health emergency, that was a big risk to every organisation, comms was elevated. Mm-hmm. Issues related to environmental ESG, environmental and governance, that has created another opportunity. AI has created another opportunity for us to step into this space. I have to say there's, there's a, a related challenge in that a lot of practitioners just aren't very good at making that alignment and understanding the business context within which they operate. Within all of those areas and just, yeah, being able to connect. Yeah, so so fundamentally understand what drives business and how a business creates value for its shareholders and, you know, it does it through its P&L and driving balance and we need to align, we're in metrics already, align what we do, the outputs we deliver with that. Typically, we're often way off. Why do we think that we are way off in comparison to other areas of marketing? I don't honestly know. There's this great line. I've done so. I've started to do some field work and in, in talking to senior people within organisations and, you know, big PLCs, FTSE 350s, and also, you know, people in the exec comp role. And one thing I've found is there's a mismatch between the expectations of what good looks like within comms and PR and what good looks like within management. So, you know, we typically aren't qualified. We don't necessarily have the representation and the diversity that we should have. Mind you, a lot of elite professions don't either. Fundamentally, there is that mismatch related to, you know, understanding the business context and professionalism. Mm. There's that great line in, I keep coming back to in succession where he looks around the room uh, his kids and he just goes you're really not serious people and I, I don't know whether I'm going to use that in some way but it's like the title of the PhD <laughs> it, it is you know there is this uh, fundamental business understanding of the business context is just missing I know that you've been doing the PhD and you're sort of finding this but is it some of the areas that you've been working on with any of your clients as well through WADS? Rewarding. Now professionalism is like a drumbeat of what has driven my career I guess. It's just now having getting to scrutinise it up close. I'm starting to understand a lot of these issues. You know diversity is another big one there's like some very very fundamental things diversity is another big one it was established in research as absolute fact in 1986 that you know a comms team should represent the public it what seeks to serve right but we're an elite profession public relations public relations yeah relating to the public (laughs) you know on any metric of diversity gender is the biggest one but 
ethnicity, socioeconomic diversity, you know, close to my own heart. We just miss sexuality. We miss, miss. Do you feel like that, that, yeah, I mean, that is, that's such a core element, isn't it? It really does go into language and all sorts of things. But do you feel that that diversity and what actually drives a business, i.e. financials mainly, Mm. are the two sort of big areas that if as an industry we look at that next year and within teams. I've come to the realisation, right, that we're not going to solve this in years. Well, not today in this room. No, we're not going to solve it today. I've got a really good, starting to get a really good understanding of it. I will write a very dull book at some point. No, I won't. I'll write a really good book at some point about mm. management and public relations because mm. it needs to be written. The last one was written by a guy called John White in the 1990s. Really? Uh, one of my supervision team. But it just hasn't, it, we really, really need it. I think it's a generational thing, right? So there's these fundamental issues we need to solve in the industry. I have this running comedic comment with Richard Bagnall, measurement guy, runs Karma you know, been at the highest levels in AMEC and, and so forth, where he said, he said on his tombstone he would he, he's going to have work to measurement all his life, didn't make a difference. Uh, <laughs> because it takes so long to, it, you know, these are generational issues, right? The the issues related to gender is the biggest one, isn't it, in our industry? Feminized profession, you know, 60% of junior roles are female, 40% males, completely reversed in, mm. and, and skews more heavily male in senior positions. Yeah, we just lose women halfway through. Get when they paid. do this. Yeah. I'm if for anyone listening, <laughs> I'm pregnant. I haven't yeah. actually announced that. <laughs> Have you not? Yeah. <laughs> no, not officially. Well, there you go. That's something. Big yeah, that maybe. In 2024, right? It is, we, we yeah. Can, that's it. It is understandable. Just uh, for the first time in my life, actually, starting to really think about... A twenty-year mm. career, and then not being in it. How does mm. that work? Me coming back into it. Yeah, it is really interesting. Sarah and I created event. Sarah Waddington and I created an intervention in twenty twenty with Socially Mobile. Mm. We're both from working class backgrounds. We both benefited from privilege at various stages during our career and, and had a significant leg up and this is our attempt to, to help people. Sarah Spot has been across all the data related to this issue and spotted that there's two things happen. We have an issue with representation at entry level. So this is the thing, right? It just beggars belief because you get agency bosses and in-house teams saying we've got a talent issue, we've got a talent issue. The solution to that talent issue has to be diversity and it has to be developing our own talent, but we don't seem to. The numbers of completions for apprenticeships in the UK is 150, average about 150, I've been across this data. For a profession of 100,000 people, so you're not even scratching the surface. We haven't got a degree of apprenticeship, you know, it's ridiculous. These are things that could be easily solved if the industry put its attention to it. Back to socially mobile, we create this. So there's an entry level problem. There's also a problem at mid-level when people make that progression from being a practitioner to being a manager, getting the management skills. So, you know, Sarah identified that as an, an issue. We created socially mobile in 2020. Hopefully this year, by the end, we're waiting for the results from the latest cohort, but I think we will graduate our hundredth student from it. Our last cohort, cohort five, we're looking at the data and sort of 20 odd students, 19 of which were mothers returning 
to work. I was about to say the ones who I've met yeah. and who are absolutely amazing. I've spent yeah. time with from socially mobile were mothers. mothers. And we were like, yeah. you know, it's suddenly we wondered if we got a problem with our, you know, our diversity data ourselves or got it wrong. But no, it's just that's the situation in the industry. It's mm. bad. This podcast is brought to you by CoverageBook, the tool that creates beautifully designed reports with credible metrics you can be proud of. Head to coveragebook.com for your free trial. I want to return to measurement. Right. Because I do feel like things have moved on a little bit this year, (laughs) but it it depends what circles you're in because Mm. then it's, yeah, and on who you're speaking to. Now, the Amec Awards were very recently and I've seen a couple of those case studies and I'm like, that's great. Yeah. That's moved on. That's talking about outcomes of business and yeah. uh, correlating yeah. it back to communications. I, but it's, there's the Amec Awards. And then yeah. I have other conversations with some people who are at the coalface of um, just trying to prove their coverage has done anything and they're just... Yeah, not moving on to that outcome. It does seem to be a really big gap between, yes, the Amec winners and Mm. then the rest of the industry. And so it does feel like next year really about trying to bridge that gap and trying to make it more for all. I don't know. That's my perspective from where we're at. We know what good looks like. We've got exemplars of good, and you're right, Amex here, and Jenna Burke and the team at Amex do an incredible job, work really hard. Very, very good example. I had a chat this afternoon with Cal Mason, who leads data analytics team at, at Shell and, you know, they're doing incredible work supplying insights to the business at various levels related to things, everything from reputation through to decarbonisation of, you know, business units and so forth. You know, and that that isn't public relations, that's management strategy. And, yeah, so we have the exemplars. You know, we've got Richard Begnall and the team at Karma and all the great work they do. But you're right, it's about democratising that. We know what good looks like, democratising that and getting that out, that work out uh, and the exemplars out to as many people as possible. How do you think that it's best for people to be learning from those great examples and actually do you know what you've got to do the work there comes a point where and this is what i realized i'm a bit pious and boring having gone back to school and studied but i think you have to do the work the people that go through the socially mobile program you know have demonstrated a commitment to you know improve their practice and and learn and that's what you have to do Mm. again you know related to professionalism where we started you know we're profession of 100,000 people, the latest data I saw from PR Academy estimates that fifteen to 20,000 people have actually got some sort of professional qualification. It's left than the fifth. I'm afraid you've just got to do the work. Yeah. You're not serious people. <laughs> that is the name of the, the, the title for this podcast, isn't it? Do you think that needs to come down to the individual? I know it's individuals who are put, mainly put themselves forward for socially mobile, but I mean, it's been interesting. I've, I've have really started to take the time to look at the differences in the conversations I'm having with in-house teams and agencies, and then seeing where it does come from. Because I sometimes hear from agency as well, it's our clients they're demanding these types of inflated reach metrics. They right. said they need them. And they said that they need AVE. And yet I speak to some in-house teams saying, no, we really need some outcome data. We really Mm. need some better measurement. And it's the agencies that are are left behind. What organisation isn't going to say, if you can attribute 
pound spent with pound outcome. What function isn't going to say, no, that's a bad idea. Don't do that. We'll just count the stuff. Count the <laughs> press clippings, count the reach. It's just, you know, no. Yeah. No, it's bullshit. So do you think that it does need to be down to individuals, PR, if you're a PR practitioner? Take, yeah, take, that's take... the problem though, isn't it? You know, we have collective responsibility as a practice to advance. We have some structural issues, structural systemic issues that are generational issues that aren't going to be fixed overnight, that, you know, take time and professionalism and training is one of them. Mm. You know, when you hear agency and you see it, you know, it's, there's a circular article comes up every quarter in PR week about the talent shortage. You can guarantee it once a quarter, talent shortage, some CEO of an agency will be bemoaning the lack of talent. And yeah, it, it's an issue, but you know, you got a collective responsibility to help contribute to develop your own talent. I've met some of the graduates from Social Mobile and have been amazing and I know yeah. some of the improvements that they've had in their careers and yeah. jobs that they've now secured on yeah. the back of it. What areas are they improving in? I've been involved in some of the measurement conversations yeah. with those guys, but what else are they looking so, at? So, 10-week course, the first seven components are compulsory. They cover every aspect of, of management. There's a session that Sarah leads right up front from core skills. You then go into financial management. There's a section on creativity and aligning creativity with business outcomes. Financial management, I've covered performance, managing people. That's an often a thing, right? You spend five or six years in a functional role and suddenly you become a manager mm. and you're expected to manage people never, ever having any education or, or training in personal development or performance management or how you have the difficult conversation with someone when they're not performing, how you deal with issues like that and mm. create a high performance team. So there's those that culminates in week seven, Kate Hartley and the team at Pompeo run a live crisis session. So there's an issue in crisis week. And then there's three, the last three sessions, the cohort choose together what to do. And so they choose from five, I think, and topics include change management, building your own business, which I teach. Building a better organisation, John Brown teaches. It's so true. It is that stage of your career where it's suddenly the whole yeah. role changes. Everything you've learned yeah. is almost irrelevant because you're yeah. dealing with people and that you're managing. It's the, such the a big change. That you don't get, that you don't get access to naturally, especially if you're from a um, diverse background necessarily, is you don't get a network. And so with each cohort, we're building a community of 20, 25 people, the cohort, the, they're working together. And then as they graduate, they become part of the larger uh, alumni community. And so we are building a small army of people who, who are changing, who are all motivated actually to do better and change. Yeah, yeah amazing. Yeah, so that's been a real, real positive that's for, positive, for the last, yeah, that's for the last few years. Positive. What else has been positive in 2023? <laughs> <laughs> the progress I'm making with study related to my PhD and the impact that's happening on my own professional practice and the conversations that I'm then having with people like Cal Mason at Shell, who actually, you know, want to operate at the highest level of management and do well. That's definitely making a change. People are leaning into it. So I'm finding it easier and easier to get means with people now who are operating in very senior positions because they want, you know, they want the guidebook. They want the they want to contribute to the body of knowledge that's going to help advance yeah. and take this forward. So that's interesting. I've started writing a lot about this on LinkedIn now. I don't know about you, but I've found that I've really X is going to die next year. Yeah. 
Prediction number one. Yeah, it's toxic, horrible place. If it's not done, I haven't, by the yeah, I don't, I don't go on there anymore. Just, I don't, well, I just use it to as a link farm share content, really. But that's it. I'd, so I've been using LinkedIn a lot. Mm. And I found LinkedIn as, well, my supervisor, Ralph Tench, Professor Ralph, Professor Dr. Ralph Tench at Leeds Business School, he describes this, I use LinkedIn in a way that he describes as a public laboratory because I'll start, you know, I'll, I'll start, with a provocation. And then it's really fascinating to see people, how people lean in both generously with sharing their own experience and offering support and help. And yeah. that's been a real It is a nice community. Yeah. I, I find on, yeah, on PR is. posts on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. There's some bragging wankers. <laughs> <laughs> You're not talking about my post today. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> Have you I seen my seen post? I haven't seen your post. I shared uh, no, I'm some videos of I'm me, me speaking different languages, talking All about right. coverage book, but in different languages, okay. including Japanese. AI. Yes. Yeah, okay. Finally catching oh, up. Cool. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, well, That's cool. been another positive yeah. though, right? You've just yeah. launched the AI book, the, yeah, the AI, PR stack style AI, one. AI is one of these issues that's like ESG, like COVID, that gives us an opportunity to take an assertive role with, within management. Every organisation is going to have its AI moment if it hasn't already. So practitioners need to be across horizon scanning, figuring out, okay, in the public sphere, how is our organisation using AI and how could I impact our relationships in the public sphere? Just do that piece of planning work. Mm. Go to our website and download, you know, one of the horizon planning toolkits and do that piece of work and then take that report into your manager and say, look, you know, this is how I think the risks are going to play out associated with AI in our business. That piece of work instantly will create a conversation, a higher level conversation that gets you away from media relations reach and so forth. So within practice, within public relations, I think AI, yeah, has the opportunity to be help us work smarter and more effectively, for mm. sure, mm. for sure. The book's really practical. So the book we've just done, so we, we just recognised the need back in August, July, August, a bunch of us talking about this stuff on LinkedIn. And, and there hasn't been anything practical from a tool perspective developed. I'm very, very wary of shiny new toys and tools. Yeah. But, you know, just laying out practically what stuff does and how it can help. And it helps, you know, there's a lot of anxiety. If you haven't followed the discussions around Claude or ChatGPT and the emergence of these models, then there is a lot of anxiety mm. for practitioners and that book helps get over it. Yeah, that's what I really liked about the book. So I, I have been following different posts, but had, hadn't found anything that was totally relevant to exactly mm. how I was working until there was me speaking Japanese about coverage <laughs> book, of course. <laughs> but no, the book's really practical in lots of different areas. Any kind of planning for next year, definitely download that. So X... Let's hope so we can see that dying out. What else can you see? X is going to go in and, and you can see the conversation on X. We've all been waiting for what is the X replacement? The, you know, what is the public sphere that for news media and where journalists can gather? And you can see journalists are clinging on as our PRs to X. But, you know, it's just become such a nasty place. I don't know where are they going. I, you know, we hope Blue Sky, we hope Mastodon, we hope Threads will be that place. None of them are yet. They might be, but I think we've communities are back and and we're mm -hmm. fragmented into WhatsApp groups and LinkedIn and yeah. you know TikTok. Have you yeah. done TikTok? Seen, uh, are we on TikTok now? <laughs> we're not. Right. Okay. No, personally, no. Coverage book covers TikTok for right. people who need it, but personally, no. Right. Yeah, it's not for me personally. Yeah. Fair enough. 
I like LinkedIn. <laughs> Maybe I'm showing my age now. <laughs> Niche communities are the right place. What else could you see, sort of prediction-wise, but then also just actively, what should people be looking at next year? So we've covered AI, both from uh, the impact on an organisation and practice. ESG, I think, is starting to be called out as a performative form of public relations and marketing. And so I'd encourage people to look at one. Actually, Nick Govier has joined our team up from Blurred at Socially Mobile and teaching a class on this now, the link between purpose ESG and organisational performance. And that level of transparency, I think that's going to be, you know, that tighter alignment with an organisational development, I think, is an important area. Sort of related to that, I think we're heading, the, the just the noise that's coming out of COP28 and the criticism of public relations practice now, you know, the lobbying that's gone on around getting COP out to the UAE. Now, I, there's a real, you can just feel the tension and bristling within industry media provoke PR week, but also, you know, out on LinkedIn, it's all getting a bit feisty, you know, and, and activists like Clean Creatives are doing a really good job in calling out bad practice and the dissonance between an organisation claiming that it's aligning with purpose and ESG and then, it, you know, it turns out it's lobbying for petrochemical. Mm. Yeah, so I think that that tension is emerging. One to watch out for. As an organisation, what do you think people, and I'm going to start with agencies, what do you think agencies need to be focused on next year with differentiation? And- yeah, so, so the big thing is getting fit. Um, you started the conversation by saying you're feeling that pain in your customers. And yeah, they are getting fit getting healthy. I think one of the really interesting things coming out of COVID is we've seen a democratisation across the UK of agencies. So good ideas genuinely come from anywhere. So, you know, and you've seen Rise at Seven emerge, you've seen Bottled Imagination emerge, you know, Story in Birmingham, some really good agencies Mm. coming out of the region, some great work. They're winning big brand clients. I think that's a really, really interesting perspective. And for 2024 agencies specifically, what do you think that they should be focused on in how to... So you've got the first one already, which is get fit. And, you know, where you start the conversation, you felt the pain or you were feeling the pain in amongst your customers that, that they were really tightening up. And, you know, that reflects broader practice and the issue that with brands. I think clear, a really clear point of view and purpose. I think one of the really interesting things we've seen since COVID is some really strong propositions emerging from the regions. You know, so I think about Rise at Seven, Bottled Imagination, very distinctive, creative and alignment with digital and public relations story storytelling in Birmingham you know don't cry wolf they all have very very clear propositions Mm. you know what you're getting and you know so they're differentiating themselves very very clearly in the market yeah and I've seen the way that at least two of those report and they are looking at business outcomes right they are correlating their PR work to financials (laughs) Measurements. <laughs> good. Great. Thank you so Thank you. much. It's good to be back here. Yes. And maybe we'll do the same time next year. I'll bring the baby and we'll see how many of the predictions came true. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Bods. Thanks a lot. Cheers. 
that was the PR Resolution podcast. If you want to learn more about emerging areas of PR, join the PR Resolution and head to blog.coveragebook.com. Stay in touch by following me on Twitter at Stella Bales and make sure you subscribe to the series to get the next episode. Thank you.